This episode is sponsored by our friends at Creative Edge Publicity. Hello, everyone. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Thank you so much for joining me and my special guest, Jennifer Ann Gordon, today. We are going to be chatting about all things gothic horror amazing stuff. Jennifer is an award-winning gothic horror novelist among many other hats that she wears. So we're going to delve into a little bit of each of them. So grab that cup of coffee, sit back folks, relax, and let's get on with the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Let Fear Bounce and another amazing episode with an amazing guest. Aren't we fortunate that we have so many incredible people from around the globe join us on here and to share their wisdom and their journeys with you. My name is Kim Langling, your host, if I didn't already say that. And today I have with me the lovely Jennifer Ann Gordon. She is a gothic horror novelist. She's a pale, curly-haired ginger, obsessed with horror, ghosts, abandoned buildings, and her dog, Lord Tubby. She graduated from the New Hampshire Institute of Art, where she studied acting. She also studied at the University of New Hampshire with a concentration in art history and English. She's made her living as an actress, a magician's assistant, a gallerina, I'm going to have to ask you more on that one, a comic book dealer, a painter, a burlesque performer, and for the past 10 years as an award-winning professional ballroom dancer, performer, instructor, and choreographer. Wow. Wow, Jennifer, do you wear a lot of hats? And I don't think that my show is long enough to touch on all of them, by golly. <laughs> well, that's good, because I think a lot of them actually sound much more fun than they really were. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, it's probably better that the show's short, so we could just like talk about the highlights. Um, but yes, hi everybody. I am Jennifer Ann Gordon. Um, I have had a lot of crazy, weird jobs, and again, I think this goes to the fact that I went to school for theater. And when you go to school for theater, you're just like, I guess, what am I going to do now? So you end up doing a lot of like weird things. Um, I can't do math or science, and uh, I don't, I'm not like really strong at being in an office job. So I've had to do anything else humanly possible in order to make a living. <laughs> well, I love that you said that you're not good at math and science because I'm not either. I never have been. I, my brain is more the, the creative type and yes, math and science. That's mine too. Mine too. I feel like I, for so long, I wanted to be, I thought I was going to be a psychology major in college, but then you would have to take statistics. And I was like, to take statistics, I had to take like a math class <laughs> to even get into statistics. And even to get into a math class, I had to take a math test. And that's when I switched to an art school. I was like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Like I would, I would take like every class besides like the math and science ones. I'm like, right. uh, 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 I have to go to a, a school that has like clowning as a class. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, because I'd be so much better at that. <laughs> I was so much better at that. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. The joke in my family is my daughter is a math and science whiz. All through, she's 31 now, but all through school and college, she just excelled. And I often would ask her, where did you come from? Because she's probably a changeling, like maybe. <laughs> she's a I will have to tell her that. Yeah, she's definitely a changeling. I and mean, she, you... she just excelled at it. And for fun, she would do calculus for fun. What? 
No, and that's not even a thing. That's what I would say. I don't know what your fascination with numbers are. They're 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 evil. What do you mean? And so the joke is, I can't do math. And if you know, if I have to times tables or do percentages or division, forget it. I, I just say no. It deals with numbers. I can't do it. I, and I yeah. don't want to. <laughs> I know. Do you remember like being in school and they would like teach us things like multiplying fractions and I'm like, why? And what, like, and how did we live through it? I, I don't even know how I passed. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking that I still have nightmares to this day that like, it's like about math and about like it being a senior in high school and having them like, tell me you cannot graduate because you didn't pass any of your math classes and you never even went to them and I was just like but oh, I still have that like terrible nightmare and I'm in my I, 40s I had to uh well we had to pass algebra at least algebra one to graduate I I couldn't pass it I I, I just couldn't get it I didn't get it until I was fortunate enough to have a teacher who said you learn different you learn differently and we're going to figure out how you learn because you're going to pass this. We're not letting this, you know. So See, he, and that's a good teacher. Yes, absolutely. And I was so blessed years later, years later, I was in the healthcare field and setting up families with in-home health care. And I had to meet an older gentleman that was in a rehab facility to transition him home and have services set up. And I walked into the room and it was that teacher. Oh my gosh. And I stood there and I said, are you such and such? And he said, well, yes, I am. And he goes, wait a minute. And then he said my name and what year it was that he helped me out. And he said, I remember you. And I said, you helped me with algebra. And he goes, I remember. This was years later and probably hundreds and hundreds of students later for him. But he was in his late 80s at the time. <gasps> I ran in oh. and, and I said, you know, I've always wanted to, and I've never had the opportunity. I, I need to thank you. And looking back now as an adult, I can see just what it is that you did for me, spending that extra time with me to help me pass algebra. And oh, I love that. Amazing, it was an amazing experience, and I will never forget. He has since passed on. I was so blessed to randomly, but it was there was nothing random about it. I was meant to run into him at that yeah, point. Yeah, I was going to say, life. that was the universe telling you that yeah. it was time to thank him. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog barking. He is barking crazy someplace in this house. <laughs> and that's okay. I have a dog too, so that's okay. <laughs> I love dogs. I love dogs. <clears throat> so my, I have a question for you because I'm an author as well, but I, I'm a short, like a, more of a short story writer. I've never done a novel and I've never went into the realm of horror or gothic horror and you're a gothic horror novelist. How did you get into that genre? Um, you know, I've always, I've been a lifelong reader, you know, like avid obsessive reader. I think most good writers are. Some writers say they don't read and I don't even understand how that's possible. Um, but I've always been a really avid, avid reader. And I somehow got exposed to Stephen King's Pet Cemetery at a very young age. Um, my uncle, who I love so much, was uh, living with us at the time. And 
I would like, he was cool. He smoked cigarettes and wore like a denim jacket that had like Native American embroidery on it. Like he was, he came from New York. I didn't know that it was Buffalo, New York. And that was completely different than like <laughs> New York city. So, like, and he was a painter and I just thought he was like the coolest thing. So anytime he was out, I would be like snooping through his stuff basically. Um, and I found Pet Cemetery, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, and it was that 80s, 1980s cover with the giant cat on it. And I thought, I didn't know there were books about cats that grown-ups read. So I, I promptly <laughs> snatched that book and hauled my butt upstairs to my bedroom where I started to read it. And I very, very quickly found out that that's definitely not a book for children to read. But that made me want to read it even more. So I would like hide behind my dollhouse and read Pet Cemetery. So I feel like that was like such a defining moment in what I, I wanted to read as far as books. Like I loved that it scared the heck out of me. Yeah. And I also love that it, it made me really, really sad at the same time. Like it broke my heart. So for me, gothic horror or gothic fiction that simply means the past is still alive in the present and it is still, the past is somehow haunting you, whether that's a ghost, a memory, you know, a trauma, a scar you have, uh, you know, anything. So I, I write a lot about that. I write a lot about the past. I write a lot about the grieving process and how that relates to horror as a genre. And I, I write a lot about like mental illness and is somebody haunted or are they crazy? You know, yeah. it can be a fine line, be a fine line. Yeah. And that's, you know, what an amazing explanation of that. Thank you. Because you, you gave me, you gave me a better picture of why it is that you write what you do. That, yeah, that, I think that was some a people, great explanation. Thank, uh, thank you. you. I think, you know, a lot of people hear the words like gothic horror and they immediately think vampires and right. rice. And, and that is part of it. But even vampires, the core element of that is the past is still be, is the past is still alive because they're su such old ancient creatures. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess I'm obsessed with memory, I think. I used to collect like old photographs of strangers. Like, so I've always just been like, kind of like obsessed with the past I you know and I have too so I resonate with that I resonate with what you're saying there and you know when I run I I, I love antiquing and going to garage sales yeah. and sales and digging around I always try and find like the box that's tucked underneath the table back under all the cobwebs that's the stuff I want to dig into yes and, me too like the old letters a yes. stack of old postcards I'm like oh like a weird trinket where you're like why did this person keep Right. Like this, this matchbox, like this matchbook next to like a dried flower and like a seashell. And they're all like tied together in a little bag. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. What right. Is this? And I, I automatically think, oh, my goodness, I wonder what the story is about this. I wonder if it was like this. And then my head starts going of what type of scenario it could have been, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. I love doing that stuff. Love digging into the past like that. And you mentioned the old photographs. I I'm enthralled by them because life was so different. Yes. So different. Um, and I often wonder, you know, 
I wonder what that person, that specific person in that picture, I wonder what their life was like. Were they happy? Because no one ever smiled in those pictures. So yeah, because you couldn't. It took so long for like that flash to go off and for like the film, to, the photograph right. to actually be taken. That's why, especially those Victorian era photos, they look so miserable because yes. they're holding that pose for like so many minutes at a time. And if you've ever tried to just like smile for five minutes straight it hurts it, and it's not natural <laughs> and it's not natural as, as a ballroom dancer when I used to have to compete in ballroom we would have to like you know put on a big big like foxtrot smile right and it's like you get off the floor and like your cheeks are killing you and like and your mouth is dry so I resonate with the not smiling <laughs> right I always thought it was because their clothes were probably so uncomfortable they that's why they were unhappy <laughs> yeah and they must be so hot I like, know because like, you see them and they're like it's summer and they're they're wearing like the men are in these like woolen suits the women have on like nine thousand layers right and they don't bathe every day no can I you like, imagine uh, yeah I, I try to sometimes I'm like can you like just like the funk in the yes. house, like, 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 oh, like where they, their clothing, the right. bed, no, like yeah. how would the bed smell? <laughs> I, I think of, yeah, I think about, you know, their clothes and where they, where they went to the bathroom and their food, how they kept their food and how it was cooked and how they, I think of all that stuff. I go through the whole, the whole thing in my yeah. head. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're a writer. This is yeah. why I'm a writer. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me about uh, your current book that you have right now. Uh, so my current book, which is officially one month old today, it is its one month book birthday, is called Pretty Ugly. And it's a story about a deadly virus. That's not COVID. Uh, the idea came up before COVID, but it's a, a deadly virus that affects people's faces predominantly. So if it doesn't kill them, which it does, it kills most people, but if they somehow survive it, they're left incredibly disfigured and scarred. So they have to wear masks for a variety of different reasons. One, they don't want to spread the virus, but two, sometimes they're doing it to hide their scarring. So that's kind of the gist of the background of the book. Uh, but the, the book itself follows two characters, a Instagram influencer named Amelia and a failed politician named Sam. And it's really a story about these two very broken people who've been living a very fictitious life. Amelia on the outside does makeup tutorials on Instagram and she has tons of followers and she fills her whole life with like likes and hearts but really she's deep down a girl who didn't get over the fact that her father killed himself when she was very young and she was sent into foster care and she's always believed that she is incapable of love and undeserving of love and Sam the politician again he is living a life that he never wanted to live he never wanted to be a politician he wanted to be an actor but he was born into this political family. Um, and he too suffered a terrible loss as a child. His twin sister died of cancer. So these two characters, you know, they're leading these like separate lives and they're leading a life that's completely fictional. And then this pandemic hits and the world is ending around them. And it's a story about 
what you do in your final days, possibly your final days, to forgive yourself, to forgive other people. Can you connect with somebody? Are you worthy of being connected with? So it's, it's about all of that. Originally, it was supposed to be a, a rom-com about the end of the world, but because I was writing it during a pandemic, I realized that I, it, it couldn't be snarky and funny. It ended up being, you know, like kind of heartbreaking and sweet and, and scary because there's, you know, some body horror right. and stuff in there. But So do you have, so it's one month old, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, do you have something in mind that's going to follow that? Is there a sequel or are you just going to go another direction with a completely different type of book? Um, yes, completely different kind of book. I had to like, stop. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, there's no sequel, even though I've had people ask who finished it. They're like, so what happens next? And I'm like, well, it's kind of a book about the end of the world. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like, you know, the end. Um, <laughs> You just don't know how it's going to get there. Right. Um, but I am working on a project that I can't really talk about. I hate to be that author. Oh, no, that's, like, that's I can't fine. talk about it. No, um, I get but it. But my agent would kill me. She would kill me. <laughs> so you have another it, work in progress then. I do. I do. I have, I'm about 70,000 words into a thing. And then I, I have another like little side project that I poke at every now and then. Um, that I can talk about, which is uh, a haunted house book, which um, it's, oh, it's share part, with that. Share yeah, about that. Yeah, it's part haunted house book and part um, like memoir about a young couple who are caring for the woman's uh, mother who has Alzheimer's. So, and my mother has severe dementia. So, um, and I've been caring for her for seven years. So part of it's about that and uh, and part of it's about a haunted house. So I don't want to give too much away. No, I was going to say, that cool sounds, that sounds enthralling. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> excited about it. And that just kind of like burst out of me one day during a free write where like, you know, I got a writing prompt and then all of a sudden I started writing and I said, oh crap, there might be something here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on two projects, which I don't normally work on two projects at once, but hey, each when of them. It, when it hits, it hits. When it hits, it hits. I know. It's just like, <laughs> you have to listen to the muse. It's like, all of a sudden it's telling you something. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those writers that is like you have to do things this way you have to write a thousand words a day you have to write every day no you don't have to do any of those things right. you can if you need to take two weeks off from writing to let your brain rest and adjust then take two weeks off from writing to let your brain rest and adjust like i agree i agree and don't don't force it yeah because yeah. you can tell when it's forced oh like, absolutely Absolutely. Like, like when I, cause there are days that I have forced it. And then when I like go back and reread it, I'm like, what is this word vomit? Was this just <laughs> like, this is like words for words sake, like just <laughs> delete it all. Right. I'll sit there and go back. Cause I'll write something out. And I, I always say I spew it. So when you said yeah. word vomit, that made me laugh. I always say, I just spew it out. And sometimes, you know, when I'm done, I walk away and I'll let it simmer for a day or two. Yeah. And other times I'll come back and I'll be like, well, I was just making noise that day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
yes I know like oh that was really just me like just like just using words right, just right. Like, like well they're pretty sentences but what the heck am I saying yeah, right. like, oh, I love I'm glad I'm glad I'm not the only one I'm not the only one I know I feel like there was this one time uh, a couple books ago that I was was this uh, Victorian era novel and I, it was very moody and um, atmospheric and I blathered on for like four pages of this like metaphor about like a spider in a well but I just like didn't let it go I just was like really in that well and then when I reread it I was just like this is this is a, a two-line metaphor that I somehow <laughs> like like by the time you get to the end, I was like, what the hell was I even talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah. what was I comparing? Right, <laughs> right. And then you're, then, you know, I'll often think, wow, if this actually is in front of a reader, they'd be like, what in the world? <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Not sure where she went, but I hope she comes back to where we need to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, it's good to be, um, good at uh editing yourself at least like editing out your bad ideas yes yes so okay i do have a question a couple questions i want to touch on before we run out of time i want to touch on okay you were an actress a magician's assistant 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 and a gallerina what's a gallerina so gallerina is actually just like a very like it's a funny term that they used in new york city i did not work in New York City I worked in New Hampshire but for the like the young women usually in their 20s with their very fashionable outfits that work in art galleries so I worked in an art gallery like you know I, I hung the exhibits I created that website I did like a little bit of everything I was like an assistant to the gallery director okay. um, but gallerina is just it, it's kind of a, a niche term usually used in like New York like, okay you know. gotcha Gotcha. So you also made your living at one point as an actress. What type of acting? Um, stage, theater. So no film. I don't have a face for film. I look good from <laughs> far away and I'm loud. <laughs> and a magician's assistant. How long did you do that for? Um, about a year, about a year. And um, it was a not like it wasn't a magician's assistant where I was like getting sawed in half or like being in charge of like the rabbits in the hat. Uh, it wasn't that. It was um, a, for a psychic entertainer. So uh, it was more like mentalism. Fun. And we did like a Halloween tour that was based on uh, like a Victorian seance. That sounds incredibly interesting. And so, fun. yeah, it was fun. I did get to wear a cool outfit. So that was <laughs> great. There was still like velvet and feathers involved. <laughs> And then that leads me right into burlesque performer. Yes. <laughs> I love your bio. I love your bio. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like you figure out how to make a living. Um, yeah, yeah. I stumbled into burlesque because um, my now husband and I, he was my dance partner. He still is my dance partner in ballroom. And we would do other kinds of dancing, like um, long long pieces like an hour long of improvisational dance movement and like performance art and we didn't know like where we could perform and somebody said oh you should get on the burlesque circuit because you guys would do well there 
So we started performing at burlesque shows and then some of the burlesque dancers asked me to choreograph for them because they wanted like more dance in their numbers. And I had never thought about doing burlesque myself until I started choreographing for burlesque dancers. And I thought, how much fun would this be Yeah, to do this? Um, and then I, again, never thought I would be brave enough to actually, you know, take off my clothes in public. But, <laughs> you know, it, you start little at a time. And, <laughs> and I have to say, it was very liberating. And it was so body and age positive to be in that kind of community. So when I moved to New Hampshire, I started a burlesque troupe uh, called Absinthe and Opium. And we performed for five years. We just stopped, you know, shortly before COVID. Wow. I just didn't have the time to be like, to, to do everything. So right, right. I had to step away from the burlesque, but I miss it. And I miss my amazing burlesque family because they were just like a, a land of misfit toys. That's what I mean, we really were. And those are the best ones. Those are the best friends. Yeah. I think so. I think so. They are. I know. <laughs> I, they consider, are. I consider myself one of them. <laughs> just like just a pack of weirdos. That's and, right. You know, I want to. Yeah, you want to find that tribe of weirdos that get you. You know. Exactly. And like, <laughs> so we would always do a Halloween show, and I would pitch these ideas, and I just like loved this group of people so much because they never said oh, that doesn't sound sexy at all. When I were saying things like, we're going to do the Lizzie Borden axe murderer, but it's going to be, you know, <laughs> we're going to do a Boston Strangler number. And they're like, okay, sure, yeah. we'll do it. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. So what do you have coming down the, the pike? You've got your, your book that's just recently out. You've got a couple. You've got a couple projects that you're currently working on. So I guess let me rephrase that. In like three years from now, where do you see yourself as an author or what do you aspire to be as an author about three years from now? Oh, you know, I think we all aspire to be New York Times number one bestselling author. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but do I think that that is the only thing that is success in my eyes? No, I don't think that's the only thing uh, as far as success goes. I would love to be making a better living at writing <laughs> and just to be a little bit more comfortable in the choices I'm making instead of like, I think now sometimes I'm like writing and I'm still thinking like, Oh, what is my fan base going to think? Like, I still, I still like knowing that I, I want to, my fan base to appreciate me, but I would like to get to a point either in popularity or just in the amount of work I have out that my fan base trusts me and they'll follow me down a rabbit hole into a different genre if I wanted to go there you know and I think that they will and a lot of times it's a and I was talking to someone earlier it's a marathon not a race yeah you know it's true. And, and for me I'm always saying you know I, I have to stop myself from comparing myself to other writers or looking at what I consider other writers having more success and I'm yes. thinking their success didn't come overnight. Why am I thinking mine will? Exactly. It, it never will. Like it just, it doesn't. You hear, you, we only hear half the story. Exactly. When, when all of a sudden you're just like, oh, overnight sensation. So-and-so just sold his book to Paramount for $4 million. I'm do, this is a very specific example. It's my friend, Sean Cosby, who has had this incredible career. Um, 
his last book, Blacktop Wasteland, was a huge success breakout book. And the book he has out right now, Razorblade Tears, like it's doing well. It sold for film rights, did the whole nine yards. And he had one other novel before that, which was published through a small press. And people keep saying, oh, he's, you know, he's the new voice of crime fiction and he's this breakout star and like his rise is meteor, like, like he's a meteor. And he's just like, it took me 27 years to get my first book published. Like I, he was, you know, he was plugging away. He was writing short stories and they were getting, they were getting accepted places. And he was, you know, he was known in the writing community because he was a writer's writer. People knew him, but so it's just funny when people are just like, he came out of nowhere and look at him. Right. Such so successful. And yeah, and out of he's nowhere. So I've been around for 20 years. Where have you been? Exactly. <laughs> I feel like I always compare it to when I think this was like maybe 1990, 91, 92. I can't remember when Bonnie Raitt won best newcomer at the Grammys. And she's like, I have been doing this for 40 years. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Because it, it was just so funny because it was like best newcomer, right? I've had like twelve albums out. <laughs> it's amazing, and something like that could really trash your mindset. Yeah, if you let it, if you if you let it. it. So yeah, I just I just keep thinking in three years. I hope I'm doing what I'm doing now, but better. That's an awesome answer because <laughs> that's that's my mindset as well. I'm like, well, you know, slow and steady, and step by step, and it's all going to come the way it's meant to come. Yes. And like, and you know, and I hope I just, cause it's a, it's cutthroat sometimes and it's rejection is hard and not getting the sales you think you're going to get. It's hard. It's hard to get a bad review, you know? So I just want to be strong enough in three years to have not given up, you know, and just, right. I don't think I'll give up. Um, I don't plan on it, but there are days and this is natural. I think with anyone who's a creative, some days you want to give up. Yes. You just want, yeah, you just want to chuck it all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yo, you know what would be easier? Not having somebody hate my book. Right. (laughs) Right. Like having like, like not going to Goodreads and seeing somebody just be like incredibly mean about like this book that you wrote about like child loss. And you're like, oh, oh, you really trashed my emotions here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have a thick skin as an author. That's for darn sure. That's mm-hmm. for darn sure. So as we wrap this up today, what is something that you would like to leave the listeners, whether it's a tip or a little nugget of inspiration, whichever it is that you choose to provide, what is it? Leave our listeners with something that they can take away with them today. So I would say um, when you feel like you don't have anything left to give as like a creative type, if you're a writer, take a class like go back and take a, a writing workshop, a writing class, or open up a website and like go to Google and type list of writing prompts. And, you know, find a random writing prompt and go with it. But I really say like, I love classes. I love learning. I love workshops. I feel like it gives us more tools in our tool belt to like reach in. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, it's always inspiring to be around other writers who are all like doing what you're doing. Like we're just like plugging away at it and going for it and trying to be better. So, and there are great classes out there. Yes, there are for free and paid. Yep. 
Yeah, there's yeah. all kinds. Of, there's all kinds of things out there that can that can uh, give you inspiration. Yes. So thank you so much. Thank you for thank you. all of all of your topic, all the topics that we covered. Um, you've got a plethora of things to talk about. So <laughs> that was awesome fun. Thank you so much for being my guest, and I look forward to seeing how your journey unfolds over the next few years. Thank you so much. It was great. Have a great day. You too.